Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studio in Alpharetta, it's time for Profit Sense with Bill McDermott. Good morning. Welcome to Profit Sense. This podcast dives into the stories of Atlanta's successful businesses, the business owners, and the professionals that advise them. Uh, We tell the market about the important work they're doing to serve their clients, their communities, and the marketplace and the marketplace around them. Uh, I'm your host, Bill McDermott, and this show is brought to you by The Profitability Coach. When business owners are trying to maximize their profitability, they often don't know where to start or what to do. So The Profitability Coach helps them devise a plan to deliver profitability that they never thought was possible. We've got two great guests on the show this morning. Vi Bean, who is the owner of Single Point Acquisitions Group. Vi, welcome. Thank you. Good morning. And also Ryan Hammock. Ryan is Senior Vice President and over Middle Market Banking for Pinnacle Bank. Ryan, welcome to Profit Sense. Hey, good morning, Bill. So if I really want to start with you, uh, Single Point Acquisition Group uh, was your uh, business. What was the inspiration for you to start Single Point? Uh, I was out of work, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've been in the, excuse me, in the industry since 1985 and... I worked for a couple of the companies at the time and felt like I had a better way of doing things or wanted to do it myself. And uh, so in 2007, after an 18-month break from the industry, I decided to start the company. Yeah, so probably a little bit of a similar story to mine. I mean, I was a career banker and then laid off in the Great Recession. So I uh, I was unemployed and figuring out what my next step was. And so Part of that for me was uh, a desire to to start a business. So could you tell our audience what you do and explain uh, why relationships are a key differentiator in your business? Sure. Um, what we do is we do land acquisition and project management and surveying for utility industries, uh, mainly the uh, local utilities and distribution and transmission uh, companies. So we bring that product uh to them, uh, the relationship side, that's probably why it took me so long to get into this business is that this, this whole business is built on relationships. This isn't where you go out and buy a franchise and sell nuts and bolts. You sure. got to know the, know who your client is and what they expect. Mm-hmm. So it took many years, probably I would say, uh, is building that relationship. So when I decided to Go into business in 2007. I was able to parlay that and get contracts almost immediately. And um, I was very fortunate and worked out of the basement of my house for several months and um, traveled a good bit around the state and southeast as well with the uh, the clients that I had relationships with. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. So we're talking this morning with Vi Bean, president of Single Point Acquisitions Group. He's been in the right-of-way business since 1985, and in 2007, as he mentioned, he started Single Point to provide right-of-way and land acquisitions to utility companies in the southeast United States. So, talking about um, your industry, uh, you and I have talked via it's consolidating. Uh, there's a lot of uh, buyers out there. So, you've even been approached by several interested buyers yourself. Talk about your experiences in that area so far. Well, it's been a good exercise, uh, to say the least, in taking a deep dive into our business and our business operations. 
uh, our cash flow, um, our accounts, looking at uh, what's uh, on the books and what's coming in. It's uh, it was really a good in depth and has been a good in depth uh, look at the way we operate as well and looking at our key uh, our key people in our company and um, how we portray ourselves to the industry. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I know is whenever two parties get together and talking about buying and selling a business, it's hard for a willing buyer and a willing seller to agree on a price. I know very often uh, the seller uh, has $1 amount in mind, which is usually less than the, than the buyer's number. And so why do you think that's so hard? Well, you, you have a lot of passion and, and hard work and sweat equity into a business. And sure. It's always uh, worth more than what the market will say. I think the hard part is uh, coming together with a, a value that makes sense. And, and the issues really come to is that the buyer is looking for a deal. Sure. They want to come in and have in, instant equity and an ongoing business and, and taking on the um, the accounts that are there, which would take them years to establish. Uh, it, that's probably the main reason why they come in because they know that they can't come in and, and have the relationships instantly that I have with my clients. So, but in the meantime, they're, you know, they're looking for a value. Yeah. And I think even to build on that uh, idea that they're always trying to get a deal, uh, there are some bottom fishers uh, that are literally looking not only for a deal, but for a really good deal. And so I kind of call them pretenders versus the contenders who are the ones that are really interested. So in your experience, have you had any um, any methodology, maybe as you're talking to these people, how do you sort out the contenders from the pretenders? You know, those are serious versus those that are just bottom fishing. I would say that the uh, by the the questions they're asking and looking at looking at our financials and, uh, and they use uh, you know ratios to value the by your uh, your net income or your gross income things like that they ask the right kind of questions I know there's <clears throat> the first uh, person or company that came to me they uh, uh, we had several meetings and then they just threw a number out at me. I just laughed because <laughs> I said, I make more than that now. Why would I sell to you for less than what I make? Yeah, really? <laughs> so, so that was one, of, that was the bottom fishing approach. But right. then there was a, a lapse of a couple of years where people have come to me and, and have uh, expressed interest in it. We're talking to Vibeen. Uh, Single Point Acquisitions Group is a land management and right-of-way consulting group to the utility industry. They also provide land surveying in support of those activities. So by switching uh, topics, talking about selling to an outsider, uh, there are also some business owners that are interested in, in selling to insiders. You know, uh, So talk a little bit about uh, why a business owner might sell to their employees rather than outsiders. Well, the, the, the big draw there is, is uh, the employees that help me get where I'm at. Sure. Um, they're dedicated. Uh, they put a lot of hard work into it. Uh, they have the best interests of the company at heart. Uh, that's what's appealing to me because it helps carry on the legacy that uh, has been built for the last, this year will be 15 years. Wow. Congratulations. Um, well, thanks. It's, 
it's gone by quickly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they, uh, that's where, that's where I lean. Um, it had to be somebody that just came in and knocked my socks off to, to sell outside. But then again, you have, you have the struggles of making the deal work internally too, because, uh, even though you have a lot of key players, you also have a lot of other employees that have been with us for quite a while. Sure. And you want to make sure that their interests are protected. But some, as you know, some people are interested in owning a business. Some people just want to work. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to, you know, you want to work your way through those issues. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, is, uh, is carrying on a legacy. I'd like to see mm-hmm. it on the downside of it is the financing side. Uh, I would have to probably retain a certain percentage of ownership until there was a note that paid off the, the final interest in, sure. in the, sure. uh, the value of the company. Uh, so um, that's another issue you'd have to work through. I'd be self-financing my buyout. Right, right. Unless, well, unless they went and got a SBA loan or something like that. Sure, sure. And there's certainly some execution risk associated with carrying that note versus just being a total cash buyer. So that, that makes perfect sense. So I think I already know the answer to this, but my follow-up question on selling to insiders versus outsiders, do you have any thoughts on which option might be better? And I felt like I heard you leaning towards you'd prefer to sell to insiders to uh, carry on the legacy but I don't want to answer for you. <laughs> I, I, I would. Uh, but also when you sell to uh, someone else within the industry, uh, they may bring up their a larger presence, uh, maybe uh, nationwide and still we're regional. We're a Southeast. Uh, so that could bring in maybe a little more. We're, we're financially stable. I don't have any issues. I don't, we're, we're not in debt. Uh, so that's not the issue, but it would bring more bandwidth as to what are the projects we could get with maybe larger clients that are uh, more uh, uh, national companies, uh, say some of the bigger pipeline companies or power line mm-hmm. companies that do interstate projects. Mostly all ours is interstate projects. Sure. So there is a niche market there. Yeah. So I guess the consolidation, obviously they have a, they have a broader infrastructure, uh, certainly more people to do a lot of the work. Yes. Uh, and then more resources uh, to do some of those bigger projects for some of the bigger utilities. Right. And, and uh, to, to back up a little bit, in, in the early years of Single Point, uh, I was always able to get work and stay busy and, and, and grow. Uh, but to, to get the bigger projects, they always the overlying thing came back. The theme was that you need more back office support. Sure. You've got to show that you have the weather all financially and with resources with people to go out and do the work. They, you know, they like you and they love you and they do good work, but can you handle a, a project this size? So they, it's almost like got to give you what you can handle. Right. Right. So it's the same thing that as far as business, they know they don't want you to fail because you're, you are providing a good service for them. Right. So they, once again, so the, to go to a larger company, a national company, they could give you that instant bandwidth that I don't have right now. Yeah, that's a it good. takes and it takes years to grow that. Sure, that's a great point. So it's one thing to be able to sell the work, uh, but your client's also looking for the ability to execute the work, Correct. especially on a on a broader scale or a larger scope. Correct. So as we grew, we grew the business. We grew it. You know, we grew the bandwidth and uh, back office support and personnel. Right. Which helped us get bigger bigger clients and better projects. So yeah, yeah. We're still not on the national scale, and to be honest with you, I don't think I want to go national right now. <laughs> yeah, well, and I can I can understand having come from the uh, 
uh, from the banking industry myself and seeing the consolidation that has gone on in the banking industry. Uh, and Ryan might even speak to this later when we talk. Um, bigger is not always better. No, there, there's a niche market for everything. Sure. Uh, you don't have to be the biggest and the best to make money. I mean, I think our company's doing well. Uh, we, uh, we have our growth pains like everybody else, whether you're try- a bigger company trying to get bigger or a smaller company trying to get, you know, a little bigger, but, uh, is how you manage those expectations. It's tough. Yeah. Excellent point. So in your experience on the topic of business exit planning, is there anything else that you feel our listeners would like to know? Be patient. Mm-hmm. Don't take the first offer and, and look at, uh, look at all sides of it. Is as if it was your business or was not your business, right? What makes sense? You know, I, uh, I've had someone else tell me selling a business uh, to a strategic buyer is be prepared for them to call your baby ugly. You know, we all think our baby is beautiful, uh, and it is. Uh, but the reality is when someone else is trying to buy it, they might, they might call your baby ugly to try to get the price down a little bit. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, Vi, it's been great talking with you this morning. Uh, thank, you. thank you for your, uh, for your thoughts on exit planning, uh, lessons learned, uh, and a little bit about uh, how you get a buyer and seller to agree. Uh, invaluable information. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. And so now we're going to switch to uh, Ryan Hammock. Ryan is Senior Vice President, Middle Market Banking Manager for Pinnacle Bank. Ryan, um, I'm curious, having been a banker and been in the banking industry myself, everybody's journey is a, is different. So, so tell our audience a little bit about your journey as a banker. Sure. Thanks, Bill. So stepping back, uh, growing up, I, I grew up and was raised on our fourth generation family farm. Um, we had cattle, we had chicken houses. My family had been in the poultry business for a long time and, um, was fortunate to be able to sit in with my father and my grandfather on, um, meetings with competitors, with other partners, with bankers throughout the years. And as a child, I sat there to the side and listened and always found those conversations interesting. And particularly with my father riding back, he would always ask, well, why do you think I said this? Or why do you think we did that? Um, and that started at an early age. So it was that entrepreneurship um, bug that stuck with me. And I, I thought through that all the way through college uh, when I was at North George in Dahlonega and listened to a number of mentors when I was getting out because I knew I didn't want to work on a cattle and poultry farm when I finished <laughs> college. Um, and from listening to mentors and, and other advisors, decided to get into banking and use my marketing degree, business degree um, through that. So I jumped into banking after a short period of time, uh, clearly recognized uh, a passion for it. Uh, and was able to go through uh, different development programs, uh, primarily with the National Bank, who I was with for about 16 years, before uh, really considering what's next. Uh, I I've, have just, and you'll hear passion so much, I'll say that frequently, but uh, when we look at our small businesses across America, they are our largest employers. They are what helps to drive the culture in our communities. And that's something that I believe at Pinnacle Bank, we're able to help those business owners along their journey um, to help them with their culture in their business and also in the community. So 
2019, decided to make a career shift, go from one of the largest banks in the country to uh, one of the strongest community banks in the state of Georgia. Uh, it's been a fun two and a half years, not without its challenges, though. Sure. I was able to bring over some others from my former employer and uh, build a team to open up our middle market banking group. So we focus primarily with operating companies across uh, the metro market and then northeast Georgia to help them through their cash conversion cycle, which will mean helping them get paid more efficiently, help them pay more efficiently, uh, and then also help with their working capital and permanent capital needs. Sure. Well, and I've seen you in action as a banker over the past year, year and a half, and you're, you're, you're really, really good at it. And I know you mentioned the word passion. Uh, my sense is you could work anywhere uh, in banking. Uh, why Pinnacle? I believe we have the flexibility to deliver what our business owners need. Also, with Pinnacle Bank, we are a, a Georgia-based community bank. Uh, right now, we're just over $2 billion in assets, uh, which in the banking world, when you compare it with some of the national companies, we're far smaller than them. When you look at our community banks across the state of Georgia, we have a significant presence. We have 24 bank branches. That's able to give us the physical presence to help our business owners and our businesses across our communities. But we also follow our clients where they go. Mm-hmm. What that means, if someone has a location here and a location in eastern North Carolina, for example, we've invested in the technology to be able to help them where they go. Um, and that's important. And that's important in the space that my team serves sure. in that middle market banking world. Sure. So it's almost like Pinnacle is too small to be big, but also too big to be small. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, so kind of like uh, the three bears, not too hot, not too cold, just right, maybe. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so I want to switch the to the topic about business exits, which mm-hmm. has kind of been a theme. And, and you heard a little bit about what Vi had to say. So talk a little bit about business exits. Um, and I know you've got a story about a, a home services owner that, that stayed on as a consultant in his business after. So sure. talk a little bit about well. In the space that my team works, um, we're always talking with our customers about what's next. And what's next may mean an acquisition that they make, or it may mean, how do I transition my company to my next generation? And that next generation may be to their kids or to their business or you know to their existing team, like what Vi was talking about earlier. But I always want to ask why. So if you're trying to make an acquisition, why are you making an acquisition? If you want to exit, why are you exiting? And that can't be a snap decision. Mm -hmm. Um, There has to be significant planning in advance to make it, uh, A, to maximize your return, but B, to help with that legacy, again, that I was talking about earlier. Um, Virtually every business owner that we work with – it's important for them to see their business continue on. It's important for them to see the their team members continue to succeed, and they want those team members protected. Sure. So several years ago, I, I, I met a man who uh, was in the home services industry, uh-huh. um, and we were talking just randomly met. He wasn't an existing customer of our banks, and he asked, he goes, so what do you do? And I go, well, you know, you were telling me about your company, so we help guys like you transition to – you know, to their management team or to, uh, to another buyer. And he looks at me, he goes, you talked with such and such. My general manager didn't. <laughs> I, like, no, I swear I haven't, 
But the conversation started from there. And um, that particular owner, he'd been in business for, I think it was 20 plus years, and he was ready for something different in mm-hmm. his life. Um, he took the company, he had purchased it years prior, um, had grown it significantly, and um, was just ready for the next challenge, but not ready to, quote, go home. Um, so we sat down with him, sat down with his general manager, um, listened to their needs and helped to develop a financing structure and plan that worked for each of them. I touched on how that seller wasn't ready to just go home. Um, so he had so much institutional knowledge about the company he was selling, but then also just about that industry. So as he transitioned out, he stayed on as a consultant, a little more robust early in the you know, soon after the the acquisition, and that waned as time went on. But you know, to this day, and this has been I think five or six years, he's still involved as a consultant with that business um, to get together and grab breakfast, talk about um, the challenges that his former company still encounters. But then he also took that knowledge to consult with other companies in that same industry. Uh, not competitors, because he looked outside the geographic area that his former company worked in. Um, so he would look at companies in South Florida, Northwest Mississippi, Virginia, and consult with them to whether they were not direct competitors mm. um, to help them accelerate their growth and to help meet their goals. Sure. So, um, and again, I know you see me smiling over here and the people listening can't, but that's the sort of stuff that makes me excited. Yeah. Um, that's just fun to watch those things come together. Yeah, no, your your passion is coming through loud and clear. We're talking today with Ryan Hammock. Uh, Ryan's a native of Chestnut Mountain in Hall County, has lived in Clark and Oconee County area for the past 14 years. So Ryan, I want to talk specifically about uh, acquisition financing. That's a space that you've played in. You've done a fair amount of it. So talk a little bit about uh, SBA and conventional options. Sure. Um so whenever there is an acquisition, as you talked about, we have several options through our SBA programs. You can structure your true business purchase. So if we're looking at um, a little bit of equipment, your accounts, um, some people will call it goodwill or blue sky or the net present value essentially of your future cash flows. And each industry can have a different calculation or different multiple in that. Um, but that's really what that blue sky or goodwill is. And that's when we'll leverage a from time to time, an SBA 7A loan for it because it can give that buyer maximum flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also tends to work well whenever the buyer is new to the company, um, maybe replacing the former owner, maybe replacing that general manager, um, or maybe the existing general manager stepping in without um, some outside financial wherewithal. Um, also, that SBA 7A or 504 program can give maximum flexibility due to the lack of negative financial covenants. Sure. Um, companies that, uh, as their balance sheet becomes more leveraged, um, if you look at your balance sheet and you look at your total liabilities to tangible net worth or net worth, depending on your industry, the higher that multiple, the higher your leverage is, and the more likely that your bank will ask for certain financial covenants or ratios be met moving forward. Um, in some acquisitions, a company can appear highly leveraged immediately after that acquisition, which is why an SBA 7A loan can be advantageous for some of those borrowers. Sure, that makes total sense. 
Um, and then as I think through conventional financing, um, there can be a lot of flexibility there and it gets down to the, the why, what's that future plan or goal. Um, I have a, another company we've worked with for a long time. As we think back over the last 10 years, they've completed seven or eight different acquisitions. We were able to sit down with the business owners, the two um, individuals, to hear what their goals were with each acquisition. Um, I'll touch on a little bit more about multiples here in a little bit, but their goal was they wanted to scale their company. They wanted to continue to grow. They were truly a local business, and they wanted to become more of a statewide and regional player. They were very comfortable with their existing income personally. So they weren't immediately growing the company to make more cash flow for themselves to buy that second home or the mountain house or anything like that. Mm -hmm. They wanted to truly scale and grow the company. So we created a unique conventional loan financing structure that worked for them to where we looked at the EBITDA or the cash flow of the target company and took an after-tax effect of that cash flow and our borrowers wanted to apply virtually all of that towards the debt service. Wow. That was able to help cure some of the leverage concerns quickly, but it also put them in a position to make acquisitions more rapidly. Sure. Um, as we stepped into, I think it was the third or fourth acquisition we were talking about, it, and I told them, well, you don't necessarily have to finance this. I mean, right. from your cash flow, it'll right. pull your cash down for a period of time, but you'll be able to replenish that quickly. Yeah. They appreciated that. Now I was talking or bank out of a loan, but that falls into just being the advisor and making the right recommendation for your borrower um, and for your customer. So they continue to see that through. And with the exception of one of their acquisitions, they were all quote blue sky. Um, only one of them had any real estate involved. So um, they were true business acquisitions. Sure. So I've heard you talk about the why uh, at least twice in our conversation, and I know you've also uh, mentioned the why in other conversations that you and I have had. So uh, you said that the why may drive the loan structure, and that could be a perfect example as far as what you just mentioned. But um, are there any additional thoughts or maybe other examples that you've experienced where understanding the why is critical to the structure? It can be. Um and some of it can get back to a future exit, depending on the industry. And I'll preface it with this with, I'm not a evaluator. I don't value companies. Although sure. as we think about different industries, I'll commonly see as a company scales, the multiple for that company increases. So if we have an existing company that wants to purchase, you know, that, that owner saying, I'm not sure what I want to do next. I want that next challenge. Um, and we're having that why conversation about what's next for them they may have a future exit on their mind. That exit may be five, seven, 10 years down the road, but understanding the multiple of their industry, making an acquisition, if they're up for that challenge, may increase the value of their legacy business because if their industry, say, has a three and a half times EBITDA multiple, but as they scale and get above a certain headcount or get above a certain number of customers or a certain revenue size, and their multiple goes to say four, four and a half times across their entire enterprise, including what they're purchasing, then it can wind up and make uh, be a more um, financially uh, positive exit for them. Sure. Uh, but again, they have to have the passion for that growth. Um, and also, if you have that general manager that wants to purchase a business, why do they want to purchase it? 
are they purchasing it to protect their job or are they purchasing because they have a passion for the company and a passion to grow it and develop it and a passion to work with the people and the other teammates. Yeah. Um, in banking, someone can have all of the cash flow in the world to pay us back, but if they don't have that character, they don't have that, that drive, it still takes a person to pay a loan back. Um, so we really have to understand the why. Yeah, that gets back to Vi's comment that he made earlier about there are some people who are set up and interested in buying a company versus uh, versus just someone who is comfortable being an employee. We're talking to Ryan Hammock with Pinnacle Bank. Pinnacle has 24 locations in more than 15 counties in northeast Georgia, and Pinnacle is a locally owned independent community bank and offers a wide range of financial services. So, Ryan, as we kind of wind up this topic of acquisition financing, is there anything else that you feel our listeners need to know about acquisition financing? When we ask that why, or when you're asking yourself as a business owner the why, um, personally, I always feel it needs to be a long-term answer, five, seven, ten years, and not a short-term answer. And what I mean by that is whenever you're making that acquisition, we also need to consider your working capital needs. That's extremely important. And in my opinion, one of the top failure rates post-acquisition, the bank and the borrower, that buyer, didn't put enough thought into the future working capital needs. Sometimes that may be to keep a loan amount smaller. It may may be to keep a, a payment a little bit lower. But whenever those are sacrificed, um, it puts that venture at at risk. So um, it needs to be a long-term need, not a short-term goal. Um, and also I'll say sometimes uh, when we think about short-term, there may be a quick pop in cash flow after an acquisition. Um, always keep your eyes on the long-term horizon um, and not make quick short-term decisions. Sure, that makes sense. And so, Ryan, if someone wants to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. So uh, either by email or by uh, by phone, um, they can reach out to me directly on my phone. That's 706-567-0657 or by email. It's Ryan, R-Y-A-N, Hammock, H-A-M-M-O-C-K, at PinnacleBank.com. And we'll be happy to talk with them and hopefully get them in the right direction. Great. And Vi, same question to you. If there is a uh, either a potential client or maybe there's a business owner out there who's listening and, and what you had to say really struck a chord with them, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, once again, they could call me on the uh, cell phone, 770-598-2519, or my email, which is lbean at singlepointag.com. Well, thank you both for being on the show today. Great discussion on ownership transition and great discussion on uh, acquisition financing as well. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. I want to take a moment uh, and talk a little bit about why a business owner might want to consider profitability versus profit. When business owners dream of having a successful business, they often think of having lots of money coming in and high profits. But what they don't realize is that profitability, not profit, is a key ingredient to a successful business. The main difference between the two is that profit is an absolute number, whereas profitability 
is a measure of profit relative to revenue. It measures the efficiency of the business. So while increasing your revenue is important, you also want to look at other key areas of your business to make sure you're getting the most out of the revenue you're bringing in. This could be things like increasing your prices, making sure your overhead stays in check, reducing costs of goods sold. It's interesting that a 1% change in areas such as these can create as much as an 8 to a 10% increase in your bottom line. I have a client who supports the construction industry. When we first started working together, they made some great investments in people and equipment, both of which improved their efficiency. With improved efficiency, they were able to increase the volume they produced. They also increased their prices by a small amount. These small 1% changes for this client all worked together to triple their net profit margin from what it was two and a half years ago. Not only do they have higher revenue, they're earning more money on what's coming in. So for all business owners, this is why it's important to not only pay attention to profit and revenue, but to profitability and the other performance indicators as well. This is Bill McDermott, uh, the Profitability Coach, signing off. If you'd like to have more information on uh, news, business news, uh, you can check out our website at www.profitsense.com. And for all my listeners out there, consider profitability and make it a great day.